Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I haven't been to the rage room yet. I actually forgot it was a thing. I would like to go smash something, actually. Well, find something soft, find something safe, and create your own rage room. Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, New Jersey Devils. We are joined, as we always are, for Devils games by friend of the pod. I think I can call you friend of the pod at this point. Friend of the pod, John Fisher from All About the Jersey. John, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and to all your listeners, I won't tell anybody if you'd rather visit All About the Jersey instead and support the New Jersey Devils instead of whatever team you are claiming in front of it. Uh, um, John, your secrets are safe. Your your secrets are safe with me. We just started. <laughs> you can't tell, but I'm winking at my microphone. I believe it. I can hear. I can hear the wink in your voice. So let's uh. All right, let's just start off with, um, so earlier, right before the season started, um, Steph Driver sent out some little questions to the other blogs of the teams in the uh, Mass Mutual East division, as it's now known. And at the time, reading through your answers, um, just to kind of sum it up, it was kind of clear that you expected heading into this season that this is going to be kind of a transitional sort of rebuilding year for the Devils, that you weren't really expecting it to be a playoff year. You weren't really expecting anything to be that exciting. You were just kind of expecting that this was going to be a year kind of towards a future goal for the New Jersey Devils. But uh, as we know, as Flyers fans, um, sometimes the early part of the season doesn't go as you expected. And right now it seems like the Devils are playing pretty good hockey and winning most of their hockey games. They are 3-1-1, one, and one, I believe, heading into these games against the Flyers. So just kind of generally, what would you say has been the most different from what you expected heading into the season? There's a number of things, but the biggest, the biggest, the most significant, the most important difference is the goaltending. 
Uh, Heading into the season, if the Devils had any legitimate chance at competing for a playoff spot, not making a playoff spot, Kelly, competing for one, it was going to be from Mackenzie Blackwood and Corey Crawford playing like they did last season, putting up numbers uh, comparable to how they did last season, and basically carrying the team to results they otherwise don't deserve. Well, Corey Crawford retired before the season, and the Devils have been without Mackenzie Blackwood. He is on the COVID-19 protocol list, so he has been out the last two games against the New York Islanders. And the Devils' goaltending has held up incredibly well in all five games, despite some terrible first periods against Boston and the Islanders in their first games against them, respectively. Blackwood and Wedgwood, respectively, in those two games— pretty much kept the game from being a total blowout. And as you know, if your goaltender is performing out of their mind, you still have an opportunity to get back into the game, which is exactly what the Devils have done. And they've grinded out results against Boston. They beat and held on in a 50-shot performance by our hated rivals, the New York Rangers. And Wedgwood posted up the team's first shutout victory on Sunday night. Um, The team as a whole played very well against the Islanders in the second game. But Wedgwood was completely on form, totally unexpected. So we're sitting here with the Devils being at 3-1-1. Their goal differential is an even zero. Um, That is including a shootout loss. So it's technically plus one, which means the Devils in five games have only allowed 10 goals total. And you can count on one hand the number of even strength goals they've allowed. So goaltending has really been the biggest difference maker to this uh, shortened start so far, as the Devils have demonstrated some flaws early on in this season. Oh, let's hear about the flaws. I'd love to hear about the flaws. Sure. Okay. (laughs) So, Kelly, I I understand you're a Secret Devils fan, so you may be aware of this, but for your listeners that aren't Secret Devils fans, and if you aren't, I highly recommend that you do. It's a lot more fun. Is that Nico Heischer has been out with what is possibly known as a broken fibula. Uh, yeah, he, he showed up, he, he came to America ahead of training camp and then was out injured. So he's still recovering, and that's the team's number one center. Jesper Bratt was a holdout contract-wise, finally signed a one, but between getting a work visa, because you can't get a visa to come into America to work unless you have a contract, that delay, plus the COVID-19 protocols, plus the travel protocols, meaning Bratt hasn't been anywhere near the team itself since being signed. So that's one of your top six wingers. In addition to that, the double signed veteran defenseman and former devil from last season, Sammy Vatnin, meaning he's also in process of coming to America and in process of joining the team. He still hasn't joined the team yet. And to make matters additionally more challenging, the Devils did pick up Aaron Dell off of waivers, who out of their potential backups based on last season would be easily the team's number two goaltender, but he was claimed from Toronto. So guess what? He's going through the protocols and going through travel as well. So what I'm trying to get at here is that the Devils have been shorthanded. And to make those matters worse, Kelly, and this is where the flaws are, is that the veteran wingers that are expected to carry the team offensively instead of just leaving it to the likes of Jack Hughes and leaving it to the other younger forwards on the team uh, Kyle Palmieri has looked more like Nick Palmieri, who is not related and is much worse of a hockey player than Kyle ever was. <laughs> uh, Nikita Gusev looks as bad as he did at the beginning of last season, uh, which is the, the distressing in that 
last season was explained away by the fact that, well, you know, this is his first NHL season. Well, you would think that after figuring it out last season, he would understand what the NHL would be like this season. But uh, until Sunday's game, he was just a complete waste of space out on the ice. And Andreas Janssen, one of the Devils' acquisitions from a trade, um, he has just looked lost. He was demoted to the fourth line uh, in the Devils' win against the Islanders on Sunday. So one of the big flaws is that the guys that you kind of expect to carry some some of, if not most of the offense, or at least the play by the forwards, instead of just hoping and praying your younger players carry the day, um, that's a rather significant flaw. And it drives into some of the other issues that we have seen in the Devils' first five games with respect to the power play, having struggles up until, you know, Sunday and uh, the penalty kill just getting lit up all over the place because you're relying heavily on younger guys to play above their level when you don't even know if they're really ready for that type of responsibility yet, or you're hoping and praying the veterans will eventually figure it out. And so far, the only veterans that have been playing well at forward have been Travis Zajac and Miles Wood, two players you as a Flyers fan should absolutely be aware of for these two games coming up. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about Miles Wood. I'm glad you brought him up because I was perusing your website earlier this afternoon and you wrote um, a pretty lengthy piece about Miles Wood and how he's been contributing to the team so far this season. Um, just kind of looking at his box stats, he's tied for lead in goals. Obviously, we're only six or so games into the season, but um, he seems to be lighting it up and Thinking back to last year, which is difficult because what is time? Um, I don't remember Miles Wood being like a huge offensive threat or a guy that I thought a lot of about ever. <laughs> um, so is this is this Miles Wood kind of playing above his own head, or is this something that you expected to see from him? He's definitely playing a lot better than I anticipated. Uh, last season and the season prior, Miles Wood was basically the definition of a double-edged sword. Whatever he was good at would come with a cost. For example, Wood is very fast, but it's only in a straight line, and only when he's pursuing the puck or has the puck on his stick. If you're asking him to blaze a trail to get back on defense, eh, I wouldn't put money on that. If you're asking, you know, Miles Wood draws a lot of penalties, Kelly, but he also takes a lot of stupid penalties and that's how he draws them. Mm. So it, it, he's one of those players that I imagine in Philadelphia, given the culture and, and the uh, history of the orange and black, he would probably be seen as sort of a uh, someone who would fit in that tradition of physical play being having its pluses and its minuses. Um, he got his big contract on the strength of his 2017-18 season where he scored 16 goals in five-on-five play, which has which is a number he has not even come close to in the last two seasons. And I would caution about the goals so far this season because one goal was on a breakaway, which Wood can create, but he very rarely finishes on. And the other two were off of deflections, one off his stick and one off his skate. Um, that being said, the five-on-five on ice numbers are among the best on the Devils. He has been set up next to Travis Zajac, um, and it's sort of an odd couple kind of combination, and it's been working remarkably well against some really stiff competition. So even though, in theory, sticking Miles Wood against Brad Marchand or Patrice Bergeron or Matt Barzell or um, Anders Lee, um, top lines of the last two, you know, two of the Devils' recent opponents in Boston and the Islanders, respectively, you would think Miles Wood would get his butt whipped. On the contrary, the Devils 
took care of business against those matchups. And Wood was not just, you know, hanging around, watching Zajac do all the hard work, and he just kind of swooped in to make a, take a shot or do something to make plays. No, Wood has been an active contributor, and as such, that's why he's got an expected goals for percentage of 61% right now. It's why he is above 54% in shots for percentage and Corsi for percentage in five-on-five play. It's why, you know, some guys get lucky with a goals for percentage of 100%, meaning he hasn't seen a goal against yet, but it's it's because Wood has been playing well, and the man hasn't taken a penalty since the second game of the season, which is also irregular of Wood. So this is a long way of saying of, no, I don't expect this at all, but I'm very encouraged by how he's performing alongside Wood and relevant to these two games coming up. Don't be surprised if you see Miles Wood and Travis Zajac up against the Flyers' best lines, because so far that's what Lindy Ruff has been doing at, at home with the Devils, sticking Zajac, Zajac's line, whether it's with Wood and Jesper Volkvist or Wood and Yanni Kwakinen. Um, stick him up against Bergeron, stick him up against Barzal, and the Devils do well with that matchup, which frees up opportunities for the other lines on the team. So I wasn't going to ask about him yet, but since you brought him up, um, Lindy Ruff, obviously, new coach for the Devils this season. Um, have there been some big kind of wholesale system changes that Ruff has brought in, or is he kind of just tweaking? Is this a completely different Devils team than we're used to? There's going to be two big things that you're going to notice that's very different from last season. It's something that John Hines and Elaine Nazardine have not done. Um, the first one is that the defensemen have been given the green light to activate a lot more often. And when I say the defensemen, Kelly, I'm not just talking about like P.K. Subban or Damon Severson, who are defensemen that you kind of expect to do that because they have a semblance of an offensive game. No, you're also going to see Dmitry Kulikov jump up on the play like he's Marek Zidliski. You're going to see Matt Tennyson, of all people, trying to join the offense when possible. And the fact that they're drawing themselves in on rushes or even as the Devils are set up in five-on-five means you're going to see a lot more rotational play. You're going to see a lot more wingers or centers dropping back to provide that coverage. And one of the things the the Devils need to be careful of with this change of philosophy on offense is just making sure that they don't concede possession too cheaply because a simple turnover means you got four guys stuck in the zone and, you know, it's going to be a two-on-one, a three-on-one, a four-on-two, or something like that, you know, coming back the other way. It's what killed them in their one regulation loss to the Islanders. It led to a couple of their goals, their two goals against it even strength. And it's something that the Devils absolutely worked on because they didn't allow any counterattacks from the Islanders in their win on Sunday. So if the Flyers are looking to take advantage of something here, of a change in the Devils philosophy, that's the first one. The second one is in the Devils defensive end. Uh, Ruff has also given the green light to defensemen to basically swarm the opposition for pucks. Um, so if a team is trying to cycle out of the corner and their pit, one defenseman has their man pinned up against the boards or against the glass or in a place where they can't really go, a second defenseman has the green light to join them and basically ap- apply additional pressure. And there's been more of an emphasis for the Devils to try to not only win those pucks, but also just to chip them out as fast as possible. So this way they don't spend as much time in their own end of the rink like they have done under the John Hines era for five seasons. What this means is that you need a winger or a center to pay a special attention to drop low and fill in the gaps in front of the net where necessary when defensemen do join that. And so that's the other surprising thing about Wood 
and players like Wood, where their defensive skills are questionable at best, is that Ruff has come in and basically said, you guys need to do more. You guys need need to have more responsibilities. You need to play much more aware off of the puck than you're used to. And so far for the Devils, it's kind of, it's had some mixed results. Again, it goes back to what I said initially, is that goaltending has been the backbone for the Devils' early success. And there have been more than a few times where the Devils are just giving up, you know, some grade A chances here. Some players have some incredibly high, and by which I mean incredibly bad, uh, shots and Corsi against uh, ranks and rates. But for players like Wood, Zajac, even the fourth line of Michael McLeod, Nathan Bastian, and now Janssen, it's been working fairly well. So if the Flyers are going to try to take advantage of that, it's going to be important for their defensemen and their and their third man in the cycle should they choose to run a cycle, to look for those gaps in coverage and hope that they can make themselves option for the guys who are getting swarmed because then they can catch the Devils in awkward positions and make their goaltender ask most likely Scott Wedgwood to be much greater than Scott Wedgwood has ever been. Hmm. Interesting. So I want to... Sorry, go ahead. Now keep in mind, similar to what every team is doing right now, is that you're Mm -hmm. playing a ton of games in a short amount of time. Like... The Devils have five games in the next eight days, Um, you know, so there haven't been a lot of opportunities for practice. So it remains to be seen how long this will last. But for these two games coming up, those are the two big things that you're going to see that's different and Mm -hmm. is going to have a big role in terms of how the games go. If the Flyers can take advantage of it, then you should unfortunately be pleased as punch about that. And if the Flyers can't figure it out, you're going to be wishing you were at the, um, whatever they call the arena these days. I forget what the, the sponsor's name is. The Comcast Arena? I'm not sure. And go Wells to the, and Fargo you, Center. Walls, okay, it's still Wells Fargo Center. My mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and you wish you were there to go smash things in their rage room. Mm. I haven't been to the rage room yet. I actually forgot it was a thing. I would like to go smash something, actually. I think it would well, feel really good. <laughs> well, find something soft, find something safe, and create your own rage room. Catharsis <laughs> is its own therapy, Kelly. <laughs> You make a good point. (laughs) So I want to get back to a little specific player stuff um, before we move on to these games. One of the things that brought me the most joy when I thought about the New Jersey Devils is last year specifically, um, was that Jack Hughes seemed to be just like a giant disappointment. Um, I think that most people were expecting him given who he was to come in and just immediately make an impact on the ice. But last season in 61 games, he had seven goals, 14 assists for 21 points. Um, he was a minus 26, which is of course meaningless, but you know, it's kind of you a brought giant. It up anyway. But it's, <laughs> cause it's funny. Cause it's, it's minus 26 is like a lot. So that's kind of funny. Um, but already in five games this season, he's got three goals and four assists. Um, what is different about Jack Hughes this year? It's been a bit of a meme among Devils fans, but he's got, you know, Hughes ahead of the season said he did a lot of eating and a lot of exercise, which makes sense since you you can't go to the rink around here. Yeah. Um, so he put on 14 extra pounds of muscle. And as much as it's become, a, again, a meme, there have been legitimate examples of where having an extra bit of girth and an extra bit of beef has been in his favor. For example, his first assist, which created the Devils' first goal of the season, which was that Miles Wood breakaway that he rarely scores on, it doesn't happen 
if a 160 pound Jack Hughes tries to body up a six foot two, 217 pound Sean Corrales. Instead, the closer to 180 pound Jack Hughes was able to get inside, lift the stick a little bit, and deny the pass that Corrales wanted to make um, to have the puck go into space for Wood just basically to swoop in and just go off running while Hughes was taken down from behind for what would have been a power play had Wood not scored. So the extra bit of beef has already provided some productive gains. Uh, more recently on Sunday, Hughes, you know, gets the puck behind the Islanders net. And while this play doesn't necessarily amount to much, he takes a hit, still has the puck on a stick, takes a second hit, still has a puck on a stick, and is able to uh, fling it back to an open devil for a shot on net. And whereas last season, Hughes would have lost the puck immediately after that first hit. Now he's able to take some additional contact. He's, he's able to protect the puck much more, which allows him to continue to keep plays alive and keep going from there. And on top of that, Kelly, he's also worked a lot on his shot. And that's the more impressive thing with his three goals. Whereas Wood has been somewhat fortunate with his three goals, Hughes's goals have been straight up fantastic shots. Two of which from the power play, just winging it in tight spots against a goaltender. Um, you love to see it, that sort of that sort of thing. And finishing on a breakaway. Um, I'm sorry, his one power play goal wasn't a sweet shot. And one was off a killer breakaway to make Alexander Georgiev cry. You know, the man's finishing is starting to improve, and he's starting to get more adept to shooting the puck. Uh, once Kyle Palmieri decides to play like Kyle Palmieri that we know of, that he'll be much more effective in five-on-five play. But you give him space on special teams or you give him a good shift, he'll steal pucks and wing them into good locations, and great things are going to happen, Kelly. So those would be the big changes. The big deal, Kelly, is going to be a big deal. You know, it's nice when you when you hear that NHL players are just like us. Like, who among us did not sit around during quarantine and eat too many things and pack on some muscle pounds. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you also put on 14 extra pounds of muscle, Kelly. How has not, that helped your not game? 14, John. <laughs> not 14. Also, I have a lot more explosive uh, strides out of okay. the game. So. Good. I'm glad your explosivity uh, <laughs> has improved. Uh, okay. So what would you say if you had to identify the biggest glaringest most exploitable hole on this devil's team what would you say that it is what should the flyers be looking to do if they're going to beat this team it's going to come down to based on recent play and based on performances from individual players it's going to be on the penalty kill which is strange because the devil's penalty kill was one of the few good things about last season's team it was legitimately one of the best penalty kills in the league both by success rate and by the on ice uh, against rates. But so far this season, the Devils have been absolutely lit up on the penalty kill. In fact, their win against the Islanders, I believe, was one of their. Um, actually, no, I take it back. Um, it was their second game where their penalty kill was perfect. However, I don't want to give a lot of credit to that second game against Boston because they gave up a shorty. Um, but more seriously, though, if the Flyers are going to really want to put the screws to Scott Wedgwood and put the Devils' defense to the sword, they're going to want to try to get the Devils angry enough to take a lot of stupid penalties, which is possible against the New against our hated rivals, the New York Rangers. You know, the Devils took six straight penalties against them. This may shock you, but that's what led them coming back from 4-1 down to, uh, 
up to four three uh, and making everybody very nervous in those final 10 minutes since the Devils took three penalties in that respect. Um, so if the Flyers can are able to make the Devils go to the box and then be able to get set up because the Devils system on the penalty kill really hasn't changed that much, but their execution of it has not been very good. Um, and if you're able to get opportunities at Scott Wedgwood, which again, we're talking about Scott Wedgwood here, Kelly, we're not talking about, you know, it's not like as if the Devils are playing Carter Hart. It's more like if the Devils were playing Alex Lyon. Um, but he's been good though, right? Wedgwood? Well, Wedgwood. Yeah, yeah good, he right? has been good. But but Kelly, he played his first NHL game in nearly three years last, last Thursday. And there was a reason why he wasn't in the <laughs> NHL for yeah. nearly three years. It wasn't like, you know, the guy has been killing it in the AHL. And don't get me wrong. His first two games have been great. I hope it continues. I want it to continue. But, you know, I'm of the opinion that a leper doesn't change its spot it spots in two games. It, that's just not how it works. Until he further proves otherwise, I'm still going to be very skeptical of this. And, again, that's why the Devils picked up Arundel off of waivers. But, again, going back to the big thing the Flyers, if the De- Flyers really want to make the Devils fans cringe and, and, and sigh and groan and put their head, you know, their face palms into their heads and, you know, what have you, it's make that power play hum. Even if they don't score on it, just put the pressure on there. Because if you put the pressure on, eventually the goals are going to come. And I'm familiar enough with the Flyers that offense is probably the thing that they don't worry that much about. Ah! I, I feel like I feel like weapons are not in short supply in Philadelphia. You know, I'm glad you think so. Why? On you, paper, you don't think so? you're correct. Uh, no, they're just you know the whole team's playing like ass right now. So. Uh, Really, Kevin it, Hayes at his 21 uh, or 21 shooting percentages ass? Well, Kevin you know. Konecki with five goals at his 41 save shooting percentage? Well, if that's ass, Kelly, I, I want to I I know what isn't ass if that's not good Four enough. of those goals actually came in the first two games against the Penguins. The, uh, with the injuries and some other stuff, uh, it's, it's, a bit of, it's a little bit of a mess right now. But um, also interesting that the Flyers' power play needs to be on point because uh, it's not. So that's another thing that will be interesting to see. It's always fun to see a a struggling power play go up against a struggling penalty kill and see which one can suck the least on any given night. That's always fun to watch. So I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, are there any players that we may not know about? Anybody new that we should keep an eye on in these games? There are plenty of new devils that I think you should be aware of. And, you know, through the broadcast, um, I think they're going to highlight them because they have played a significant role to a degree on the devils first five games of the season. Um, the, the one that's going to get the most attention, but maybe is a bit of a paper tiger is rookie defenseman, Ty Smith, who actually is on pace to set an NHL record. If you can believe it or not, uh, Kelly, uh, he has six points in his first five games. Now, some of those assists were legitimately good assists. Others are, again, he takes a shot. It takes a crazy bounce off of somebody, and it goes in the net, so he gets an assist. Um, you know, his defensive skill set is not particularly good, and unfortunately, he's sandbagged with Matt Tennyson, who is m- the worst defenseman on the Devils right now. Um, but Smith has six points in five games, joining luminaries like Larry Murphy and Kel McCarr for, you know, starting off his career Uh, with points in his first five games. If he's able to get a point tomorrow night, he will tie the NHL record that's held by Marek Zidliski with six games. And if he gets a point tomorrow and a point on Thursday, then he sets a new NHL record. Um, 
But, you know, it's he's now back. He's now uh, quarterbacking the Devils' first power play unit, which has uh, looked good in its uh, few looks against the Islanders. So we will probably continue to see that. Otherwise, he's a third-pairing defenseman. Um, he can be exploited to a degree in the run of play since, again, Matt Tennyson is not good. Um, other young guys and new guys that you're going to take notice of, you're going to notice plenty of Yegor Sharangovich. He was an overage draft pick from a couple of years ago. Um, on loan with Dinamo Minsk of the KHL, he was among the KHL top goal scorers. That's right. In the entire league, this 22-year-old Belarusian was among the top goal scorers in the entire uh, league and uh, was playing 19 minutes per game in Minsk. Um, he came to training camp, looked very good, and now he's on a first-line role next to Jack Hughes and Kyle Palmieri. And Sharon Govich has been utilized on some penalty kill work as well since he was doing some of that with Binghamton in his first few seasons in North America. So you're going to see a little bit more number 17 Sharon Govich out there. We'll see... If he performs well or not, it's again, he's this is his first time in the NHL, no training camp. I'm sorry, with a training camp, but no preseason. So he's getting up to speed, so to speak. But he's a new face that you're going to recognize. Um, you're also going to see since they worked well against Matt Barzal, Brock Nelson and Anders Lee, you're probably going to see Yane Kwakinen alongside Wood and Zaka against the Flyers top line. Uh, Kwakinen was an acquisition from Sam, for Sammy Vatnin of all players. Uh, from a, from last season from Carolina, he was a classic case of he was good, but he, you know, he it was a victim of the numbers game down in Carolina with their forwards. So the Devils picked him up, uh, had a decent camp. He's now looked very good in his first uh, game uh, with Wood and Zajac. So they're probably going to keep that as a matchup line. And um, the other name that he's not a new name because you have seen him play, but he is new to the Devils. And he has been very, very good. In fact, De Kelly, I would say he's been their best defenseman. And mm -hmm. his name is Dmitry Kulikov. Yes. Oh, that former, guy. The former Florida Panther. Yes. The former Jet. Yes. The man that offense seemingly forgot. To, also, in addition to throwing a consonant or a vowel in between the D and the M in his first name. <laughs> but he has been playing incredibly well under Ruff's new system. And he has been very stout in defense. He has some of the best five-on-five -five numbers, and he has helped make Damon Severson, who's playing well in his own right, but he's helped make Damon Severson look very good and hopefully start giving Severson the credit he deserves among Devils fans. So if you're looking for a top-pairing matchup, he may not, you know, Subban and Matt Ryan Murray will get, you know, the minutes and the acc accolades and the criticism, but Kulikov and Severson are the, are the job that's going to get it done, and so far Kulikov is looking like the team's best acquisition in the offseason of 2020. What's up with P.K. Subban? Is he just bad now? No. He's not very sure? good, okay. but he's not that bad. <laughs> so with Subban, unfortunately with Subban, he kind of has the same issues that Severson has in that even when he has a good game or good performance, if he does something questionable, like he takes a bad penalty or he hurls up a bouncing pass to a forward that not only doesn't get to the forward, but it gets picked off for a two on one and he gets bailed out by the goaltender. People rem will remember the mistakes more than recognize the successes. Uh, case in point against our hated rivals, the New York Rangers, you know, time's running out. The Rangers have done nothing with six skaters on the ice. 11, you know, 14 seconds left. Subban wins the puck behind the net decides I'm going to hurl this 200 feet towards the empty net. 
So, you know, he doesn't hit the net and it's icing. And now everybody's mad that he iced the puck. And now the Rangers have one last opportunity to really set themselves up and provide a, you know, a gut punching uh, equalizer. People remember that. What they don't remember is that on the ensuing faceoff, Subban wins the puck off the draw, smartly takes a step back from the pressure uh, provided by the Rangers, and then does the traditional bounce it off the glass for a clearance that effectively puts the game out of doubt and and ends it with a 4-3 victory like everybody would want. So Subban doesn't get the credit he deserves when he does well. He just gets overly criticized for the bad things he does, which unfortunately he does quite do quite a bit of bad things. He has already been taken off the first power play unit because he's just been firing away a lot of 50 to 60 foot prayers instead of throwing it up to, you know, like Jack Hughes or Kyle Palmieri or Nikita Gusev in much more dangerous positions to shoot. So I, I, I could go on. We could do a whole episode about PK Suman. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a fascinating person. I call him. He's the NHL's one celebrity player now that he's divorcing or I guess not marrying uh, or breaking up. I don't know what the proper term is these days, but okay. the fact he's not going to marry Lindsay Vaughn may mean he's no longer a celebrity that he, she was kind of the meal ticket in that respect. Um, but, you know, he is a celebrity and as such, as any celebrity will tell you, you get point, you get the spotlight on you for good and for bad. And unfortunately for Subban, um, he does enough bad things for people to be annoyed with him, which discounts some of the good things that he does. I mean, all things being equal, he's still above 50% in Corsi at the moment. Um, you know, his he does have some uglier numbers in five-on-five, five, but it's not like last season where Andy Green was like an anchor to his uh, legs and uh, dragged everything about him to be very bad. So that's Subban in a nutshell. It's He's not a bad defenseman. He... he, he I really wish the team, the Devils, had someone like Larry Robinson, maybe the best assistant coach the Devils have had in the last 20 years, to sit him down and say, look, you're a former Norris Trophy winner. You're smart. You just got to play smart. Don't do the ridiculous things. You're not 25 anymore. <laughs> you're not going to make <laughs> those crazy passes and, and, you know, just body up, body up guys and try to freight train through players. Let me teach you how it's done. I'm a Hall of Fame defenseman. I can make you a Hall of Fame defenseman. I but tell people that all the time. But oh. the Devils don't have Larry <laughs> Robinson, so they don't. <laughs> so one last question before I force you to make a prediction. Okay. Um, given what you've seen over these first five games, which is obviously very small sample size, have you changed your expectation for this Devil team? This Devils team that now sits at third in the division. Do you expect them? to continue to do this well? Do you expect them to finish better than you expected before? No. Okay. I, I, I don't because, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm happy with how the Devils are playing. I think they played their best game of the season on Sunday. And if they can play more games like they did on Sunday, they might prove me wrong and compete for a playoff spot. But my expectations heading into the season, Kelly, were the, the exact inverse of last year. Whereas last season... You know, I was very confident this was a playoff team. And then the Devils face planted and everything fell apart. And now we have a new GM and a new head coach and a lot of new faces on the roster that otherwise were not seeing the roster last season. So my expectations are simply I just want them to be more competitive than what they were last season. 
and I want them to take a step forward towards being more competitive for a playoff spot in the following seasons. I'm basically giving this season like a mulligan to Lindy Ruff, Mark Recchi, uh, GM Tom Fitzgerald, even though he was the assistant in New Jersey for five years. I want to see how he does as the full-time GM. Now, officially the full-time GM, I should say. He technically kind of was when Cheryl was fired back in January of 2020. Um, so effectively, I'm seeing this season as more of like, okay, everybody's getting evaluated to see who who's worth keeping around, who's not worth keeping around, who's worth building around, Hughes and Heischer, who's not worth building around, and, and going from there. Um, so my expect, so, you know, as I said at the very beginning of the show, I think the goaltending has been way excellent for the Devils. And as you know, because you're a Flyers fan, great goaltending spurts are just that. They're spurts. Mm-hmm. And when they start to fall apart, you start realizing maybe the team's not as high quality as you thought it was. And I think some of the mistakes and the penalty issues and other foibles with some performances, especially like from Palmieri and Gusev, is going to catch up to them and you're going to start seeing more losses. That being said, my prediction ahead of the season was I want that I think this team can finish seventh. I think they can avoid the bottom of the division ahead of Buffalo. I'd like them to finish ahead of the Rangers because the Rangers suck. Um, but if you can give me seventh place and a more competitive team throughout all 56 games, I would say that's a success. So right now they're exceeding my expectations. However, until it's if we're having this conversation in March, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Then I would say maybe, maybe I would change my opinion. But right now, I'm sticking to what my expectations, my prediction was. Okay, fair enough. Finally, as always, give me a prediction. Let's go with the final score of this first game of this little two-game series. And uh, how you think it's going to end up a split? One team going to sweep? What are you looking at here? I think it's going to be similar to the Devils' first uh, series with Boston, where (laughs) both teams are going to come out of this with three out of four points. I think the first game is going to end up being an overtime loss to Philadelphia. Hmm. And then I think in the second game, it's going to end up a much more dominant victory by the Devils. Because the Devils, in in this short season so far, and we saw this with the Boston games, and we saw this more recently with the Islanders game, is that the first game had struggles. You know, the first period of the, of the season was an absolute nightmare for the Devils. And then they came out and, and lost in a shootout to Boston. So they, they grinded out a W there. The next game, their second game, did go to overtime. Sharon Govich won it with literally less than two seconds on the clock. It was brilliant, but it was one. It was a close game, mostly because the goaltenders, Mackenzie Blackwood and Yaroslav Halak, played out of their mind. But the Devils played a better game in their second game. Um, the Islander series. So last Thursday, the Devils got bodied by the Islanders. Matt Barzell and Jordan Everly basically, you know, dumped their books, stole their lunch money, gave them a swirly, you know, Rude. throw whatever, throw whatever metaphors you wanted there. Then on Sunday, the Devils shut down Barzal and Everly, you know, kept them kept them quiet for long stretches of that game and shut them out to nothing with, again, their best performance of the season so far. So assuming that trend will continue, I expect tomorrow's game to be much maybe more in the Flyers' favor, but again, it goes to overtime. I think it'll be a 3-2 final score in overtime. Um, you know, I'll grouse about how they didn't win it in overtime, but hey, they got a point. And then on the 28th, the Devils will win that game much more decisively. We'll say, let's say four to, let's say, no, let's say five to two with an empty netter. Five to two? With an empty netter. All right. So I'm going to predict that... 
for my own sanity, I'm going to put this into the universe. The Flyers will take both of these games against oh. the Devils because they need to for all of us. I'm going to say that the first game is going to be... I'll say the first game is going to be the close one. I'm going to go 3-2 three, two, three, two Flyers. And then the second game, the Flyers are going to really open up. I'm going to say 4-1 Flyers in the second game. That's what I'm going with. Okay. So this offense that you think is ass will, will show up yes. for, this, for this yes. series. Yes, because I need them to, John. I need them to. Or I will they, cease to live. You, well, nobody wants to see <laughs> you to cease to live, least of all your children. But uh, uh, you, know, you don't have any confidence against the Flyers, against the very structured and very speedy Islanders at the, on the weekend? I don't want to talk about the Islanders games yet. I got to go oh. one, one at a time. Okay. <laughs> at a time. Okay. You know, the I'm, Devils did just beat the Islanders recently. Maybe you would want to know a little bit about that. No, I don't. I don't want to think about the Islanders until I absolutely have to, because in reality, I don't want to have to think about the Islanders ever, ever. Mm. Well, unfortunately, that's coming up after this Devil series, because guess what? The Flyers have a super busy schedule like the Devils do. Yay, 56-game season. Everything is fun. <laughs> all right, I think that's all I have for you, John. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. It was great, as always. Everyone listening should head on over to All About the Jersey and check out John and his staff's work. It's all very good. Thank you. You might learn a little something about the Devils, I think, which is it's always good to know what's lurking out there in the Mass Mutual East Division. So know your enemies. John, I hope you enjoy the hockey games. Yep. I hope everybody enjoys the games. And remember, come to All About the Jersey. And you, I won't tell anybody that you're really a Devils fan in disguise. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Go Flyers. <laughs>